The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Happy Thursday, everybody. We've been switching it up back and forth on your Wednesday night, Thursday nights. We just like to keep you on your toes. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. I'm Anthony. He's John. Uh, John playing like a champ today. He's he's on the mend a little bit from uh, a bug that's been getting him, but I'm, I'm glad you are here, sir. How you doing? It's not just a Thursday, dude. Peep the colors. It's Masters Thursday. Been oh, that's for right. Nine hours. Scott, yeah, boy Scotty Scheffler. He's I think he's wearing green as well. I think he's four under or something. This is Thursday. This is out of date for anyone listening after this. Fact, but <laughs> it's a great week, man. Yeah. It always gets offset by whatever goes around in, in the Cincinnati in terms of, of whatever <laughs> stomach bug or something. But no, nah, yeah. it, it's definitely needed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got to at least relax a little bit. Watch some of that. I caught I was ca- catching things early with that. I saw that Tiger had a couple of uh, bir- birdies, I think in the middle of the, the round, but haven't really caught up. I've been tied up with some other stuff, a lot of which centering around what we're going to be talking about on this show, folks. We've got a lot to talk about, including we didn't, we didn't, it feels like it's been a hot minute since we've talked to you. We didn't do the news update show that we usually do at the beginning of the week, but we've got kind of a little bit of a rundown of that. And we're going to do a little different spin on it because the Bengals made a signing this week and we've got a little bit of film on that specific player we've got to state your case about the draft and positions within the draft and then of course we've got one of your favorite players john i'm sure a lot of our listeners favorite players in this year's class that we are going to it's not a usc guy that we're not that we're not going to profile not a pac-12 guy either not a pac-12 guy either i promise he's diversifying Sort of, sort of, yeah. But we'll talk uh, We'll talk about him a little bit later. And, of course, as I mentioned, this show is called The Orange and Black Insider, and you can get it on your favorite audio streamer, whether that is iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones. We are there if you uh, want to download after the fact, if you want to join us live, or if you like the video side of things, you can join us on our YouTube channel. There is an icon underneath that Cincy Jungle logo at the bottom of the screen underneath John there. Click that, click the subscribe button, click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. And if you like what we're doing, give this video and the others that you watch of ours a thumbs up. That helps us out. We appreciate that. Of course, you got to give a thumbs up as well. 
If you're a Facebook fiend, go join about 80,000 plus other thumbs ups, <laughs> if that's a thing, uh, to the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. And of course, news, opinions, analysis at cincyjungle.com. And don't forget to check out my boy John's site, A to Z Sports. He's killing it over there. Go check out his opinions, news, analysis there as well. All right, John, where are we starting, dude? Let's start with the quarterback, I guess. Uh, the Bengals have not they, they've kind of been a little quiet on the quarterback front because they are one of the few teams that is settled with an elite signal caller as their starter. But backup quarterback is a question, and the Bengals are trying to answer that one. Yeah, so, I mean, they've been trying to do this, I think, for a couple weeks now. They were rumored to be interested in Cooper Rush and potentially get in on signing him, and then the Cowboys re-signed him. So once we kind of heard that news, it's like, okay, they're definitely looking to move on from Brandon Allen or at least give him some competition. And then... It was reported that, I think from James Palmer, that Trevor Simeon, of all people, was going to be in town for a visit to be Joe Burrow's backup. Now, Simeon is, about, I think, an eighth-year player in the league now, but he's been a backup for the most part of his career, except in the early parts of his career when he was with the Denver Broncos. (laughs) And, of course, anyone who follows the Bengals and hears Trevor Simeon's name is going to think of one game and one game only, week three of 2016, when he just went paid Manning. On the Bengals, and I think threw four Ugh. touchdowns and completed like seventy percent of his passes, and was just throwing darts all across the lawn against the Bengals defense that clearly lost a lot of luster from the twenty fifteen season. So that Trevor Simeon doesn't really exist anymore. It's been almost a decade since then, and he's been just in the league as a backup ever since. He's most recently with the Chicago Bears. But Anthony, I think the larger point here is that. I think it's very much up in the air if Brandon Allen returns at this point, and mm-hmm. it's clear that they still want some type of veteran backup for Joe Burrow, and they might not just want to look to the draft to develop one. And I believe Simeon's visit was today on Thursday. There hasn't been any report, any like update from that. But if he doesn't get signed, it, it's very real and poss- impossible that another backup veteran not named Brandon Allen is going to get that job, if not Jake Browning. Yeah, Jake Browning was a guy that they were very interested in uh, in terms of what they saw out of him last summer. Uh, here's the the story on Cincy Jungle here, Trevor Simeon visiting the Bengals. And, man, that that game that you referenced uh, in 2016, that was one I, I tweeted at you seriously but jokingly that I flew all the way out from my neck of the woods to go to that game because I was like, wow, okay, they're going to rebound – after that wild card debacle, and this is their home opener and everything, Trevor Simeon goes and throws for four touchdowns, no interceptions. He did get sacked twice, but, man, a game by him. And I think why the Bengals like this guy as a backup quarterback for them in their system, he can he can move, right? He can he can maneuver in the pocket a bit. He's not the statuesque big guy of, of yesteryear, so he can move a little bit. Um, he can kind of do the short and intermediate passing game. And of course, with the weapons surrounding him that the Bengals have, you figure like, hey, th- this is a guy that if he needs to come in for a brief stint, a spot start, God forbid, anything like that, you know, he can kind of spread the ball around, use those short areas, middle areas of the field, use the talent around him and potentially, you know, kind of hold Joe, Joe Burrow's, I don't know, headset or I don't know what you whatever you want to call it, uh, for the week um, and, and kind of hopefully carry the team to victory so but again a guy that a lot of folks remember a lot of Bengals fans remember from that 2016 game a guy who's bounced around a lot and at times when he's played in games he's kind of had those those 
you know, brief stints or moments where you go, wow, that's kind of a, a decent start or a decent quarter or, a, you know, a couple nice plays by Trevor Simeon stepping in. It's very rare that a quarterback comes in as a seventh round pick, doesn't play at all his first year, and then basically starts for the next two years. But that's just how dire the Broncos quarterback situation was because they drafted Paxton Lynch in the first round and he was just never worth that pick. But also the connection that's notable here is that Brian Callahan was the Broncos quarterback's coach when yeah. Simeon was drafted in 2015. Callahan wasn't on the team anymore. He took an opportunity with the Lions the year that Simeon actually started to play. But he obviously scouted him. He coached him on the practice squad or just on the bench for about a year while in his last year of Denver when they won the Super Bowl in 2015. So Callahan at least has some type of experience of coaching and being around Simeon to an extent. Simeon then with the Jets in 2019. He went to the Saints in 2021, like we said, most recently with the Bears. So, again, very journeyman-esque career arc for Simeon. But, yeah, I do like the point of just the overall athleticism because that's definitely not anything that Brandon Allen is gaining as a career kind of uh, progresses into his early 30s now. The arm talent, I believe, is about similar. I think Simeon's throwing motion is a little bit more compact and a little bit more concise and maybe a little bit better for that type of West Coast system and everything. But, again, like he's, he's just Trevor Simeon at the end of the day. And whatever contract that he gets for the Bengals is not going to impact much. And wasn't Allen, if I remember correctly, Allen was a, a Brian Callahan or Zach Taylor tie together, right? There was there was a, think so, a yeah. previous relationship there that brought him to Cincinnati. And then you've got Simeon here. And then you see the, the career line stats, 35 appearances, 30 of them start. Simeon has completed 621 of 1,055 passes, a touch under 60% for 7,027 yards. 42 touchdowns, four of those coming at the Bengals' expense in 2016 uh, against 28 interceptions and a 13-17 record as a starter. So when you go 42 touchdowns against 28 interceptions, 13-17 and 17 record as a starter, you look at that as a whole and you say, well, backup option, that's not – there are worse stat lines out there potentially that, that teams could look at as a backup quarterback. And, of course, having 30 starts in, in under his belt as an NFL guy. So – uh, you know, I don't think this would be a terrible backup option for the Bengals should they not go with Brandon Allen. Again, like I, I don't know how much things are changing if one guy has to go into the game compared to the other guy. Uh, but like you said, Brandon Allen, he was with the Rams in Zach Taylor's last go. year yep. in Los Angeles. So he was the quarterback's coach there or the assistant wide receiver's coach there. So, you know, these things kind of mirror each other a little bit. Well, the Bengals are... Have, had a pretty active free agency period and even about, I guess it's not quite a full month in, but it's, I guess, entering the fourth week right now. And they made another signing. I think it was late last week with Terrell Basham, uh, a guy who has bounced around the league a little bit, has flashed here and there. And we've got some, we've got some footage on him, but uh, Terrell Basham signs with the Bengals. We've got the career, um, the career stats and whatnot, but he, this is a, a short-term deal, a guy who could bring a little bit of a rotational pass rush, maybe potentially relieve some snaps and provide a little bit of extra spark as a pass rusher as the best-case scenario, worst-case scenario, camp competition, guy to bring in. Obviously, they lost Wyatt Hubert, who retired and then came back, but went a different direction and is not with the Bengals anymore, so... Um, that is, I mean, he's a former third round pick out of Ohio from the Colts. So this is a guy that's got some 
got some tools and has had a, a modicum of success. Not so much last year, but a modicum of success in the NFL. Yeah, this green is also Bobcat green. So I believe this is one of the first OU Bobcats on the Bengals roster and maybe some time. And of course, who was his DC other than the dad of Joe Burrow, right? That's right. Uh, he, yep. he was one of the highest draft picks under uh, Jimmy Burrow's tenure there as the Bobcats DC. I believe the other one was, oh, he was like a linebacker. Well, whatever, it's not important. But he was drafted in 2017. He was the, I think the program's leader, all-time leader in sacks of about 29. But yeah, he's jumped around in his career. Um, injuries kind of derailed the start of his career with the Colts, and the Colts actually ended up waving him in the middle of his second year. The Jets... Um, signed him, claimed him, and kept him for two and a half years. And then he's been with the Cowboys. Then he was with the Titans. Now he's back in Ohio, and he seems to really relish the opportunity to be kind of close to where his football career kind of took off. He still knows a lot of people. He has a lot of he has a lot of friend connections with the general area. So there's there's that aspect to it. I believe that that at the end of the day, you know, urged him or convinced him to kind of take this deal and. We don't know the specifics of the deal yet, other than it's just a one-year deal. But I do wonder if they signed him with the intent of... He's not just a camp body, but he, he's here to, like... He's more likely to make the roster than not. And right. I think I think that's fair, because he's still 29. I think he still has some left in the tank. And I, I just... I'm curious as to how this impacts the overall depth and the dynamic of the edge group behind your two starters. Because Osai is obviously number three. I still, I still think Cam Sample has some room to grow... Jeff Gunter didn't hardly play it at all last year, and he's obviously seven years younger than Terry Basham. So you have six guys there now that I think have a good chance, obviously have a good chance of making the roster, and you still have the draft and where a potential edge can fall. So this obviously opens up things in the draft. He doesn't force you to do anything, but I do wonder what type of commitment there is to him for this year. Yeah, we're going to rewind this a little bit here. These are some clips of Terrell Basham and stats for folks to look at 128 total tackles, just five last year, 11 sacks in his career, zero last year, uh, one tackle for loss last year, 13 in total, one interception in his career, none last year, five forced fumbles, two forced, uh, two fumble recoveries, 35 total quarterback hits, just one last year, did not play much for the Cowboys last year, John, and did not put up many stats at all. Uh, this is him against the run here, shooting in there with a linebacker. Nice play there against the run. Um, here's another play in here. I think this was from 2021. Uh, this is him. I would say his best ball was with the Jets um, sure. from, from what I've seen. And here's a nice play here to knock the ball out from behind. It's a nice play by him there. It turns into a turnover. Anytime you hit Baker Mayfield, that's going to make our highlight reel, especially when he's in a Browns uniform. So we like that. This is a turnover here. So he seems, at least from what I what I can tell from him and what I've looked at in this, he kind of can fight through tra- traffic pretty good. He made a nice tackle on Lamar Jackson there as well. Uh, he can fight through tra- traffic and, and blocks pretty well. He can turn the corner pretty well when he, when he kind of senses the play and what's happening there. Uh, and, and a lot of times I've noticed when he does get to the quarterback, He's got a knack to, to knock the ball out or he's really swiping at it. You know, some guys just kind of wrap and bring down. He's really trying to swipe to get the big play. That's kind of what I noticed on some of the, the highlight plays. Obviously, those were the, the positive plays, some of the nice plays in his career there. Some of his best ball, though, as I mentioned, was um, with the Jets. I believe that was back in like 20, 2019, 2020. Um, he was, you know, getting in the two and a half to three and a half sack range per year with them and then kind of has fallen off a little bit there so that is a guy that i think 
again, I, I do think he's a guy that I don't think he's a roster lock, but I think he's a guy that has maybe an inside track on a roster spot and can probably give you a little extra snap relief and effective snap relief off the edge for guys like Hendrickson, Hubbard. And, you know, if you're not seeing what you like, like you mentioned, out of sample um, or, or some others on the roster that you're trying to give a shot to, this may be a guy that can can bring a little juice in limited snaps. For March 31st, if you're looking for a guy that can play 200 snaps in the season and give you some type of spark off the edge as a pass rusher, you could you could definitely find worse than Terrell Basham. I always look at these signings from the perspective of how they initially viewed him as a player coming into the NFL because he was a part of that 2017 class that had just a ton of edge rushers. And that was a year that we knew the Bengals were going to invest in the position in the draft. And they ended up double dipping with Jordan Willis and Carl Lawson. And yep. Bashup ended up being drafted between those two guys sometime in the third round, just based off his athletic profile, his production profile. I, I wouldn't have taken him over Carl Lawson. I probably would have taken Jordan Willis over him as well, just because Jordan Willis, you know, kind of bamboozled all of us with his athletic profile with yeah, testing yeah, at the combine. 100%. He just never really played like that type of athlete, but Terrell Basham, looks exactly like any Bengals defensive end that they invested in recent years. About 6'4", 6'5", about 270 pounds, pretty long arms. Not the greatest athlete, but like you said, I think there is... He's got the same type of tenacity of just chasing after the ball and not giving up on plays. Like, no loaves, right? Like, we know their type of just any defender at any position, really. Like, it's just a nose for the football and not giving up on plays. And I believe at this point in his career... Maybe you, you would consider the twilight of it, but he's back where in a place where he wants to be. He's back on a team he wants to be on. He mentioned that, you know, we're going for the ring. So obviously he's got the ring hunting mentality as well. So I think all those kind of add up to, hey, we like this guy in the draft. We just didn't take him. And he's and he definitely fits the profile of what we want to build on defense. Well, so Terrell Basham, now a Bengal, a guy who's bounced around the league. I think he's on, what, what did we say here, his fourth or fifth different team now at this point. So, um a guy, you know, early in his career, he kind of had some splashy plays. They were a little bit, well, they were pretty inconsistent, but he did have some splash plays. And maybe this is a guy that can come in and, again, kind of harness a little bit of that that big play mentality, give you quality snaps on a limited basis, and maybe, you know, be able to lean on some of the talent around him to, to get a couple of, of plays there. So, uh, I think a good signing, obviously we got to look at the numbers and everything, but a good signing by the Bengals, it's useful. And, and a guy again, that can come in and as the Bengals, you're not absolutely pressed to get an edge defender in a specific round early in the draft, because now you got a little bit, at least of a veteran fallback option. Speaking of taking an edge in the draft or just any position in the draft, this kind of brought up something that I've been thinking about. And it's become a state your case. So we, we can play the intro. All right. It's, it's come, it hasn't come to my attention. I, I like, we all know this, that the Bengals haven't taken a defensive lineman in the first round since Justin Smith. When I like, was that even a Marvin Lewis pick? Was that before Marvin Lewis? That was the form of this. That was, uh, yeah, that was a one, I think. So that was, yeah, that was Justin Smith, Chad Johnson, Rudy Johnson, I think all in the same draft, if I'm what not a mistaken. Draft. Yeah. What a yeah. draft. But yeah, so that 
trend has preceded the Marvin Lewis era, which is essentially a millennium ago. And edge rusher is a preposition, right? It's it's paid like one in the NFL. Even defensive tackle at this point, they're those contracts are exceeding $20 million a year and barely even quarterbacks are getting paid that much. It's a premium position for both sides, for both positions. I, I look at drafting late in the first round now. It's something that the Bengals are, you know, if they want to stay good, they're going to have to get used to it, right? They've always been in that 21 to 25 range when they were making the playoffs but didn't win, but they drafted 31st last year. They're drafting 28th this year. Premium positions are always looked at as the the rightful investment, no matter where you are in the first round, just because it's a fifth-year option, just because it's it's the perception of just being a first-round pick, and there's prestige that comes with that. But at the same time, you hear everyone involved in the draft process say that, on average, there's about 15, 25 at most prospects that are considered first-round talents. And if the draft is a perfect process, which it's not, then those 15 to 25 players always go first. But at least that's what teams plan on, right? They always, in their mind, no matter what year it is, like there's never going to be 32, or in this case, 31 prospects that are worth a first-round pick or graded as a first-round player. And I think drafting in the, the later part of the first round, it kind of almost, it doesn't change the discussion for me, but it adds some nuance to you have to target some positions or only this bucket of positions to make that pick worth it. And I think it's relevant in a year where tight end and running back is so commonly talked about with the Bengals draft and these, this, these two classes specifically with those positions of how you know, strong and deep it is. There's discussions about either taking like a Jameer Gibbs or Michael Mayer or even a Dalton Kincaid if, if his medical is good, which apparently it is now according to Dar- Daniel Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. But there's mm-hmm. the discussion about is it smart to take those positions with a first round pick, no matter where it is in the first round. And I've always been, yeah, of course, you have to target the, the premium positions. You have to maximize the value. You have to gain a surplus of value because if you hit on a, an offensive tackle, if you hit on a quarterback, if you hit a pass rusher anywhere in the first round, and those are high quality players before they even get to their second contract, you are gaining such a surplus of value where it's harder to do that with a tight end or with a running back. You have to get like the very, very best out of those positions to make that worth the based off of what they're getting paid compared to other veterans on the market. But I think again, if we're treating the draft where it's only 20 of those guys are worth a first round pick and the majority of them are playing a specific group of buckets, I don't think it's so reprimandable anymore to just say a team cannot draft a running back at like the 20th overall pick, or they cannot draft a tight end at that juncture, provided the player is still a high quality player. It's not just like take the position just to take the position. We reach, but it, yeah. But it, but if you if you rate a guy like Michael Mayer that high, or he's in your top 30 players, if you rate a Jameer Gibbs that high, and he's in your top 30 players, and he, and both of these players have the potential to be high quality, not just long term starters. I'm talking about the production and the athleticism of that of a multi-pro bowl player, a multi-all-pro player. And there are guys in this class at the top of both of these positions that I think you can classify that. So I think there needs to be an added level layer of nuance when you're drafting so late in the first round and you're dealing with a reality every single year that there's not always going to be guys at those premium positions who are worth that pick. I said this a couple shows ago and I think it was after a conversation with when we had Joe Goodberry on it was a fun show with him 
probably three weeks ago. Um, I, I, so where I think teams get into trouble is if you are picking, you know, later, mid in the round. I, I go back to when the Bengals picked Billy Price, okay? Um, and and I, I don't know if Billy Price would have worked out differently if he wasn't a first-round pick or if he went to a different team from the get-go or whatever. But the point was that the Bengals sat at, I think they were number 18 at that point. There was the whole Cordy Glenn thing that, that transpired in that draft, and they moved around a little bit. And obviously, everybody and their mother knew that they wanted Frank Ragnow in that draft. Uh, and that was the guy that they wanted. That was the guy who ended up being a very good player. And so instead of the Bengals pivoting, you see them taking a player who they probably, in all likelihood, they wouldn't openly or readily admit it, but probably in all likelihood was down the pecking order or down their draft board. And it was like, we need a center. There was the Russell Bodine thing. And I, we need a center. Ragnow just went like a pick in front of us. We need to we need to get this thing done. So they, they get that. They, they make the pick to, to price. It didn't work out. And so there you have it. You see this a lot with teams when they go either because they need, they have a big need or they say, you know, a, a tackle is more valuable than a running back. Well, here they are in the twenties and they're picking what is the consensus fourth or fifth best player at their respective position in this year's class, as opposed to a position like a running back, like a tight end, like a safety that may be the best or the second best in that, in that, in their respective position. And maybe it's not as pressing of a need, but you have to look at it and you go, well, there are a lot of things to weigh. What's going to improve? Who's going to improve your football team the most? Who's the most talented player? Obviously, positional need, all that kind of stuff. But I still have a problem with teams taking a player who is largely viewed as down the pecking order or way down, you know, fifth, fifth best player, sixth best player, if you have the option of having a player staring at you in the face who is the consensus top player at the position, arguably the top player at his respective position in the class. And you feel like you have a use or a need of some kind to some level of that player. So that's where like you, John, I think I don't really have a problem if the Bengals maybe bypass even a, an enticing tackle prospect, because at that point, the tackle prospects at the end of the first round will probably be your fourth, fifth, sixth best tackle prospects in the class as opposed to the top tight end prospect, the second best tight end prospect, your top running back prospect. And right now, the Bengals have tackles on the roster and they have more questions at running back and tight end than they do at least immediate questions at tackle. Yeah, and hindsight is going to be a huge factor with this because – really is dependent on how good your process is in the first place. The glaring example that I, that I will continue to look at is the Chiefs taking Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the first round. Yeah. Right before the Bengals took T. Higgins. How how much better would the Chiefs be with T. Higgins compared oh, oh. to Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Like, can you, can you imagine that, right? But the Chiefs didn't apparently think that T. Higgins was as good of a prospect as Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So much they took a running back over a potential number one wide receiver. Now, that's obviously terrible in hindsight. In foresight, when it was actually happening, no one really blinked an eye because people expected at that point that Clyde Edwards-Lear could potentially sneak into the first round and the Chiefs had a dire need at running back at the time. Like, Damian Williams was their starting running back in the Super Bowl, and they were perfectly fine with it, but they still needed, like, an injection of youth and talent. 
So if the Bengals find themselves considering like a Jameer Gibbs, I, I don't know if you did like did you did you hear that Dave Lappin was talking about him as like a Bengals first round pick? I've seen that floated around. I, I did I did not, but I think I, I I've heard that the chatter in general about him connected to the Bengals is getting louder and louder. Right, and they met with him at the combine. And spoiler alert: I'm writing a piece on seven running backs that the Bengals are most likely to target. And he's one of those seven, and if they're going to pick him, it's going to have to be with that first round pick. If that's the case, in three years, if they look like clowns because they took a running back who wasn't worth it over an edge rusher, a tackle, or cornerback who was picked a little bit later and is doing well, like that is the issue with this part of the process because if you miss out on that extreme surplus value positions that you still need then you end up looking like a fool but if your process is sound right now and your top tackles every tackle that you consider worth it at that point is gone every cornerback that you consider worth it is gone every pass rusher that you consider is worth it is gone even every tight end that you consider is worth it is gone if if all these things happen and Jameer Gibbs is staring at you in the face then in foresight I will not chastise the Bengals for making that decision. But I think some people still will because they're just foot st- stuck in the ground saying, no matter what, you cannot take a running back in the first round. Let's, I mean, it comes down to something, a, a scenario like this where the Bengals are on the clock here and they've got a guy, a ta- they've got uh, options at offensive tackle, which is, you know, people are saying that's a long-term need now. I mean, I know they got Orlando Brown on that side, but they've got questions at the right tackle spot, I guess immediately and long-term uh, at right tackle. But you you look at it again and you say, okay, here's, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, and I don't know what their board looks like, uh, admittedly, but let's just say there's a Darnell Wright and others there, and they have a, mid-second round grade on players like that, but a Jameer Gibbs or, you know, Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, they have a fringe first round, second round grade there. That would then, obviously, you would think, kind of lean towards, okay, well, maybe we should lean to towards the players that, obviously, not only we have needs at tight end, potentially a running back, depending on what we're sorting out there, as well as right tackles. So why wouldn't we take a player at a lesser positional value. If we have a first round grade, a fringe first round grade on those players, as opposed to someone that's maybe, uh, we've got a second round gradish on this, on this guy over here, even though that's still a position we also need kind of short term and yes, long term. And that may be where this whole, as simple as that sounds, that may be where this whole formula comes into play for the Bengals and who they end up taking in the first round. A hundred percent. Like no, no team, I think, will will realistically take a player that they have a second-round grade on compared to a player that they have a first-round grade on unless they have legitimately no bodies at that position. Like, I'm not saying no bodies. I'm saying no actual bodies. <laughs> right, right. Right? Like, if the Bengals didn't sign Irv Smith, I could see them just forcing themselves to take whatever tight end. Like, like imagine, like, like Lucas Musgrave is there, and he's, like, third tight end off the board, and, like, the Bengals take him. I don't think that would be a smart pick, but if... I could I could totally see in that reality like them forcing to do that just like they did with with Billy Price and we would all boo them because they didn't learn their lessons. But I don't think there's 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 that kind of hole on the roster currently, which is kudos to them. They set themselves up for this. And in general, going back to the, like first round grade versus second round grade, I, I think teams the their perception is oh they don't like taking positions in X round or whatnot. But I think those scenarios just don't pop up as much 
as people think, and that's why you have 20-plus-year droughts of the Bengals not drafting a defensive lineman in the first. It just never happened to be that their best player available at a position of need happened to be a defensive lineman or maybe a linebacker in that case ever since Keith Rivers in 2008. So I think those things aren't as real as people think they are because at the end of the day, like you said, it's very simple. We have a board. We have positions of need. Combine the two. That ends up being the pick. Well, and and the caveat to what I said, obviously, also, John, is, you know, where where they grade these players, does a team, again, use that positional value in making those grades, right? I mean, is it just, hey, this player at this position has, you know, we've got this this metric on this this point system on them and that that grades them at a first round pick or they've got this point system, but they're a running back. And this guy's got this point system, and they're an offensive tackle, so the offensive tackle takes precedence. It depends on how the team operates in that regard, too. So what I said applies, but there's also a caveat in terms of how the team, whether it's the Bengals or any other team, operates in terms of how they view positional value as opposed to overall player talent. And Those are things I would love to learn more about. Like Obviously, you know, teams aren't privy to give away, giving away the – the details of their board and how they grade, but we're starting to see more of that. I think the Colts do like a yearly series of their draft process, but it'd be, it'd be nice if the Bengals could just pull the curtain back just a little bit, just, just to see like what, what these discussions um, go like and just being in a war. It's, it's a lot. I I would assume it's a lot more simpler than we make it out to be. But again, like those are things that that we'll never find out. Well, maybe, maybe not. Um, And, I, they do like to keep things close to the vest, do the Bengals, and whatever. I mean, they've been drafting better um, and have more hits than they have, uh, I would say, overall in these past handful of drafts. So let them keep doing what they're doing. And I know we're excited to see who they get in this year's class. And, of course, some of these guys that, because they've been a good team and a deeper team than they've been in a long time, some of the higher picks last year either had limited snaps or didn't play till later in the season – so excited to kind of see some of these extra first round picks as people sometimes label them uh, come into play this year as well. So let's conclude with some local talk. And I'm going to bring this up to you, John, and I'm going to play this for the listeners because to, to tee up the prospect. We only have one this week. And no, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, no, it is not a USC player, and it is not a Pac-12 player. It is uh, someone who is near and dear to a lot of Ohioans, Cincinnatians' hearts. Uh, let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, you see, John doing the the shimmy over there. This, I'm going to share this real quick before I share the the little slideshow that I prepared on this player. And usually, I kind of take a lot of the big leads in terms of like, you know, here's this is a guy I kind of research and everything, but. John has a specific uh, vested interest in this player here, but this is Josh Wiley, and he is working out at the Bengals' indoor practice facility for the local workout day. The Bengals were hosting him, and this is from Neil Meyer covering the event here, talking about uh, what it would mean to stay home and play for Cincinnati. Hopefully you can hear it. I just want to go somewhere that's going to utilize me in the right way. Playing here would be pretty cool, you know, getting in the city at uh, all three levels of the game. That would be pretty cool. But, you know, I want a team that wants me. Um, and then we go to the championship. 
wants a team that wants him and wants a team that wants to go win some championships in case you missed that last part and playing for all three levels meaning high school college and pro would be cool that is josh wiley the university of cincinnati tight end let's have a look see john at uh our guy your guy josh wiley i know everybody's like anthony where is the university the bearcat love and i decided to shine my gracious sunlight on the bearcats this week i don't know what that means actually but here is josh wiley a guy that uh, i know a lot of people like and i watched more of him than i had previously and i i like this guy i like him i liked him before i like him more now obviously and uh, you look at the highlights and everything looks a little bit more gracious you know gracious and you see the big plays um, we'll go through the height, weight, all that good stuff here. He is, John, 6'6", 248 was the recent weigh-in. A little bit of a concern here, 23, going to turn 24 in September. So he is older. He is a redshirt senior. He is, of course, from Cincinnati, Ohio. Long, lean, athletic, pass catcher, stretches the field. Uh, and I will say this later, yards after catch is what I noticed with this guy. Receptions, he the numbers aren't eye-popping like you saw with a Kincaid. 88 catches in his career, 32 last year, 1,062 yards, 326 last year, 15 career touchdowns, which is a record by a tight end for the University of Cincinnati. Just three last year after six the year prior, though. 12.1 yards per catch. That's not really indicative of the yards after catch type of stuff. Just 10.2 last year. I think that's indicative of Ritter not being there last year. I didn't see any fumbles again. I keep looking in the same places, a couple of different sources, not seeing it. Did run a 4.69 40-yard dash. You see there, stretch the field. There he is right there. Mismatch, I believe, was on the outside here. Here's a nice – say it with me, John. Yards after, after catch. catch. This is so nostalgic, yes. man. This is just bringing a smile to my face. Yeah, and here is nice little sliding, diving catch. Come back to the ball. Uh, Ritter ill-advised going across the field, but whatever, it worked. Uh there he is working the seam. There he is on the outside going up. Watch this. Yards after catch. And, of course, here, yards after catch for a touchdown. And in, there's one play that I really like. I think it's this. Uh, is it this one? Uh, I believe it is. No, not this one. It's the next one, I think. Nice, nice work across the middle there, though. Um and you can see here, nice little play out of the flat. And look at the gain he gets right here. It's just like almost like a little shovel pass. Um, and then you see here, nice across the middle, takes the hit, gets the first down. This is the one. Watch this one. Uh, no, not going to tackle me. Not going to wrap up well. I'll take it into the end zone. Yards after the catch. Here he is blocking. I slowed it down. He's on the, the back part there, kind of chip and let go. Here he is on the bottom part of your screen right there. Struggles with a pickup on the pass pro with the uh, defensive back coming in. By the way, Alec Pierce highlights are just fun as hell. Here he is right here in the hole. Nice play on the run block. Uh, that is for a touchdown run that goes a long way there. Uh, is that Montgomery? Is that who that was? Uh, comes across in motion. Gets set. Watch him at the goal line here. Goes through the hole. Picks up a guy. Stands his ground. That turns into a rushing touchdown. I like that play there as a run blocker. Here's the RAS, 8.94. So he scored well from Kent Lee Platts, a.k.a. Math Bomb, RAS score, 8.94, including 
that uh, nice metric on the height over six feet and the four six nine forty. Good running uh, scores all around. Pretty good agility grades. Pretty good explosion grades. So he is athletic. Yak yak yak. Yards after catch with this guy. Yards after catch. He's elusive and quick for being over six feet six. Age is a concern. How close is he to his ceiling as a pro? I think that's where a lot of teams are going to be concerned. I saw some flashes as the run blocker, some struggles in pass protection. I don't think a lot of teams will have him be doing much in pass pro anyway. Will he ever be a tight end one? And that is where you have to struggle with. Is he going to be, where's he going to be drafted? Is he a third round guy? Is he a fourth round guy? Fifth? Is he a second round guy? I mean, you, you can make a case for a lot of different things with him based on what team you go with him. I still say probably middle rounds, probably somewhere in the third to fifth round, depending. But he's a guy, John, I do like. I like the the ability to stretch the field. I love the length. I love the height. I love the potential red zone mismatch. And I love, love, love the yards after catch from this guy. Um, athletic guy. I, I hate to say this, but this if this specific team didn't pick up about 12 players at this position group last year, I could see this guy being a Baltimore Raven, uh, a guy that they would use the hell out of. But I, since they invested so heavily in that in that position group last year, I don't see that happening. This is a guy that I, I think is a, a good player, a good middle rounds guy this year. I don't think you can ever count out the Ravens from adding the tight end. I don't think they're going to be satisfied until they maybe have not. 20 of them. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe you not. Know? So they're yeah. always in play. I, I know we picked Wiley. I believe it was like the fourth round of our – first ever mock draft of this season yep and that at this point it kind of seemed a little early for him based off of where he is on most boards and I think the reason behind that is mainly because of the age factored in with the fact that he's six seven only 250 so he looks really lanky out there and like you saw like he he generated some movement against some AAC guys but they're not going to ask him to be an inline guy he's he's a he's a He's a detached tight end who's who's receiving yep. option. Uh, I think he could work well in like a split zone offense. Like as you saw, he was kind of detached and kind of worked to like the, on like the wing formation or, or wing option and some of those plays like that, which you see did every now and then. But I, I think he would have done best if he would have declared last year. He was a weaker tight end class, and he would have only been like twenty two, turning twenty three, and he was coming off of a better year last year. Ritter left for the NFL and. The yep. UC's quarterback situation was not pretty this year, so I, I don't think that helped. I'm glad he came back and I got to see him for another year, but I don't think it did him any favors because in 2020 he led UC's passing offensive receiving yards as a as a sophomore as a tight end, and it was you know the year that Ritter really developed for the first time and looked like a competent quarterback, and it was largely because you had Wiley running up the seams and being again six seven with like an inordinate catch radius, and I think that's that's the biggest attribute with him is that whether down the sidelines or down the middle of the field, when you're stretching, when you're trying to split those split safety looks that defenses are going to have against the Bengals off, uh, against the Bengals offense, you have Joe Burrow just dropping it over the middle and just widely could just, you know, moss any cornerback or any safety or linebacker that, that's going up against him. Again, the physicality aspect I think is going to be a question. Like he has the frame to add on some more muscle mass, but again, he's turning 24 this year. And in a deep tight end class, when you have just a ton of of athletic guys who have produced a little bit more in their careers, I, I don't think that's going to do really a lot of favors. I think the fifth, sixth round is probably where he ends up. But in the situation where the Bengals could double dip, 
at tight end, going back around the second time, I, I could see I could see a scenario where he ends up here, but I think that's probably his range. He probably cost himself, quite honestly. I mean, he had this, the six touchdown catches in 21, three this last year, um, a little bit of a dip in the, the receiving yards um, from, from year to year. I mean, not a big dip, but... Uh, you know, a bit, pretty big dip in terms of touchdown catches and, and everything like that. So you would have to say, like, he probably cost himself a round or two uh, in terms of being drafted this year as opposed to coming out last year. So uh, it stinks. I, I respect the decision for sure for him to come back, even though Ritter and, and company are gone. But here's the thing that the Bengals, if the Bengals are looking at this guy, here's what they need to figure out. They need to make the decision that is this there, – there, there are two things that are kind of at the top of my mind here. They need to make the decision, is Irv Smith going to be our tight end one? Are we committed to him being tight end one? And then you bring in a Wiley like this, and he's kind of the, like you said, slot guy. You can even play him out on the boundary in certain formations if you wanted to with that length, particularly in the red zone. Chain mover across the middle, that sort of thing. And he's your TE2. Um, or do you feel like uh, with a little development potentially bulking up and you can maybe transition him into a little bit more, a few more blocking schemes, that sort of thing. You, you can, you feel like you can coach him up into an eventual, eventual tight end one. I don't know that that's ever going to be the case with this guy. I think he's going to be a fun ancillary player, a fun secondary weapon at his position group for a, for a team. And if you have a competent quarterback, if you have a competent offensive line, even if he is your second tight end, I still think he will at the next level be able to put up numbers because of his size and because of his length and his ability to gain yards after the catch. Um, but I, I think, you know, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals and you look at this guy, you have to, you have to say, can we, can we coach him up, bulk him up even at 23, 24 years old and, and get him in there to block more? Or is he going to be a gadget guy? And do we feel that Irv Smith is going to be tight end one for us this year? And is that going to be, is that all going to be good enough for this offense? Right. And again, with, with him, I, I don't know how much you want him to gain in terms of muscle mass. At the risk of losing some athleticism, but the sad reality with it is like you're right. Like he's never going to be like tight end is always really you know wonky to kind of project because these guys end up going in the middle of the draft and then all of a sudden they're the best tight ends in the league. But I, I think we can safely say he's never going to be in the upper echelon of tight ends. And when you're second, third, fourth string, you're playing a lot of special teams and you're blocking a lot, and that's gonna just that's just going to be the reality for him for the early part of his career, and he has to get better at the latter if he wants to potentially progress up the depth chart. But he already has the, the receiving abilities to make an NFL roster. I, I don't really worry about that. I think the best way for him to show that is probably in the red zone, just as like an extra tight end. And again, like some of these offenses that use an abundance of tight ends, like Miami, like, like it's just a lot of fucking, unfortunately, it's a lot of dirty work. And he's going to have to just learn to deal with that and, and strength up a little bit until his opportunity eventually comes. Because, Tight ends get banged up, and if he's in your reserves and you need a receiving option, I think he can find a niche role somewhere, but it might not be for years. Yeah, I mean, and just to kind of wrap wrap a bow on it, I mean, I know he's a, a different build and maybe a different player than, than, say, like a Cameron Bray, but when you look at what Tom Brady was able to do with Gronk 
And Brait Brait was a guy who contributed, even though he was kind of the second tight end in that system, right? You see how the the Ravens are able to sprinkle in all kinds of production from different tight ends. I know it's a different era, but you look at a guy who was a Mackey Award winner in college at the tight end position, Chase Kaufman. The Bengals drafted him. Long, athletic, great hands, could never translate to the pros. You know what I mean? And I know that he doesn't have quite the same pedigree as a Chase Kaufman. I know the NFL is different and a little bit more complex than it was in 2009, but Chase Kaufman couldn't beat out guys like J.P. Foshi, Tony Stewart, no offense to those guys, to get onto the field. Whereas, you know, now you've got a, a separate set of questions with this guy. I still think that if the Bengals were to go with Wiley, I think he would probably still need to be a supplemental tight end draft pick and, and maybe when, when that's their double dip guy if they did that in this in this year's class. Oh, my God. You just – I forgot Tony Stewart was also a football player and not just a NASCAR driver. I oh, yeah. Totally oh, yeah. Forgot Tony Stewart. Oh, yeah. He was huge. He was huge. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's my mic drop tony stewart boom there's my mic drop <laughs> well, my mic drop will be a quick happy birthday to uh commissioner yaz who i think just got out of the hospital oh, recently yeah, for yeah, a very serious yeah. medical issue that i think she was there for a while but it's her birthday she's out so happy birthday yes thanks for representing us yeah she's awesome and i i'm glad he i i just randomly was like oh my gosh what's happening um i caught kind of the tail end of it but it sounds like things are going well for her so i will definitely echo your sentiments my friend and best to yaz who is a great great representative of the Bengals fan base and a hell of an entertaining twitter account as well for sure thank you everybody for tuning into the live show we're, we're getting a little abbreviated today but we've got a lot more coming at you we've got Matt Minnick's Coach Speak and Chalk Talk episodes on the audio side of things. So watch out for that. Talking football with Bengal Jim and Friends, audio and video side of things with that. Three and out with Jason and Kevin. Another episode of that coming out at the end of this week. And then, of course, we've got a lot of different things uh, coming at you on Cincy Jungle. Of course, my guy, actually this way, my guy John, A to Z Sports. He's got a lot of stuff coming at you, so check that out. Happy whatever holiday you are celebrating uh, this weekend, whether that's Passover, Easter, anything else. Happy spring holiday. We wish the best to you. Enjoy your time with family and friends. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Orange and Black Insider. We will see you next time. Josh Wiley, John. Josh Wiley. I, I, I can't believe you made me stray from the Pac-12, but I did it. I did it for I'm you. I'm going to down friend. the drive. I'm going to down the drive. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs>